Welcome to the Truth of the Matter Is podcast. I am your host, Daniel, alongside Jonathan, and we are back for episode 89. Speaking on behalf of myself and Jonathan, we want to say we appreciate you for listening in today. Before we begin, let's give a round of applause to all who have decided to join us today. We thank you and hope that you continue to press play at your own convenience. Yeah, so Daniel, how you doing? It's Sunday, Monday night. How would you say your day went? I think it was pretty productive in terms of getting things done. I had a lot of fun during, throughout the day. Got some things done. Other things I didn't want I need to get done. I haven't got it done yet. But for the most part, it's been good. What about you? It's been interesting. Actually, usually on a Sunday, I'm chilling. But Sunday morning, I actually was out and about. So, you know, helping someone out. So, you know, actually enjoyed being in my car and driving a little bit more than normal. So, I would say it was cool. Yeah, so before we get started, I want to tell you something that I thought you might find interesting. So, remember when we were kids, how much we enjoyed watching wrestling? You know, we were big fans of the WWE. So, recently, right, I found out that our two favorite wrestlers became Christians, actually. Rey Mysterio and The Undertaker. Now, of course, we know them. So? What happened? That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, of course, we know them by their stage names, the characters they play. As a side note, as a kid, you know, when I found out that the shows we watch were played by people, you know, that, you know, the names that they were given weren't actually them. Kind of crushed me a little bit because, you know, I sort of fell in love with the characters, but finding out that those characters weren't really them in the end. Sort of, it was a tough pill for me to swallow, actually. So, what about you? Did that ever hit you, or you always knew that certain characters in movies and shows were actually played by other individuals, and there might be some similarities between these characters, but that really wasn't them? Yeah, yeah, I think I've always been aware of it, to be honest. Yeah. So. Unfortunately, you know, I didn't believe this, but when we got older, there was a reality that wrestling wasn't real, right? And I know there might be some people out there that have a problem with that, but yeah, wrestling is actually staged. It's actually, they are some of the most athletic people that go out there and play their part and they do a fantastic job. So the point is, Rey Mysterio's real name is Oscar, and I'm not going to even try to pronounce his last name because it's pretty difficult and the undertaker's real name is mark williams calloway so you know me looking at the story and reading about it you know i want to spark this question in the beginning for you and i want to throw it your way right i want to throw this idea out there but before there's another wrestler that became a christian as well and interesting enough he doesn't have a stage name he actually kept his real name as a stage name and that person goes by sweet music himself Shawn michaels so here's the question and i thought i should bring this up early because i want to get your thoughts about it so as files of christ and as a content creator yourself do you think it's important to keep 
the professional hobby you're involved in separate from your real life, which means should your stage name be different from your real name? And if it isn't, do you think a person deserves grace? And should people recognize that, hey, he or she is playing a character and that you should do the honors of not mixing the two? Now, I know there may be similarities within the person, but don't mistake Shawn Michaels the wrestler for Shawn Michaels the man. Or do you think he did himself a disservice by not separating the two? Yes, I know it's a loaded question, but you know, I believe you can handle it, bro, bro. So what you got? If your persona is completely different from how you are as a person, then I wouldn't recommend using your real name. But a lot of people, you got to understand the perception that you're giving off. So perception is everything. And when people don't know you, they know you by how you portray yourself. It's the same thing of how, you know, how you carry yourself as we discussed in previous podcast episodes is important. So I don't think you necessarily should have to separate the two. But for example, if you're your character is something that is uh, extremely aggressive and then you're like a very reserved and like introverted person. Obviously, there's a big dichotomy between the two. So it wouldn't necessarily work well for you to or people will perceive you one way and you can't blame them for that. Now, I personally don't see a problem with mixing your stuff, but yeah, you should be able to separate everything. And most people should understand at this point, I, I believe you can't blame or fault the people who don't but most people understand that you're playing a character usually so hmm. yeah yeah because I, I i sort of take issue with how some people feel about denzel washington i believe denzel washington is a man of character yes he's played some parts where he's had to go in deep character right whether it was training day whether it was american gangster but by no means do i believe that he's the same exact person that the part that he plays with in the movie. I think he's able to car, you know, he's able to separate the two. I think the word is compartmentalize. He's able to do that. Mm-hmm. So I just find it interesting because within this article I was reading, people had a huge problem with Shawn Michaels being at their church and questioning some of the things he did, whether it was the tattoos he had, whether it was you know, the way that in which he said certain things that they felt shouldn't be said to little kids, you know, boys and girls. But, you know, I I find it so interesting that sometimes it's your own kind that tends to ridicule you, right? And not give you the space to have some sort of grace and mercy as if, you know, you yourself hasn't been given some sort of grace and mercy. So, you know, I just found it interesting. I thought it'd be something that I could share in the beginning and get your thoughts about it. Well, you see the thing about that and uh, the judgmental part that I keep finding when it comes to people of the Christian faith or some people who, or some folks who are religious or spiritual, this this deep judge, this this deep seated judgment. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know why it takes place or why it happens. And of course, all of us make judgments on people or make cold reads or you know don't necessarily know someone for who they are. But there should be a part of you who is able to make that read or make that judgment. And there shouldn't be a judgment because the judgment is final. But you should be able to have a thought and then leave it open 
for interpretation. So, for an example, I may be able, if I'm playing a game, right? Uh-huh. I may look at the way somebody plays and think, well, they may not be that good at the game. And then I play them and I can get uh, completely destroyed or, like, I didn't stand a chance. And it shouldn't take me having to prove that through action. I should just be able to, as a person, recognize this person may be good or there may be something good about the person that allows them to have this type of success, huh. right? So it's no different when it comes to um, being a Christian or, like, judging a book by its cover. This person may have tattoos or, like, may look real tough in the face or may look like he's ready to hurt somebody or, you know, may look real soft or may look like he's not that much of a threat. And until you talk with that person or until you get to know that person, it should really be left open or there should be some spot in you that allows you to say, I don't really know this person yet, so let me let me get to know them so I can make a better judgment. Or if so you don't even have it. the opportunity to do that, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. Then, yeah, then you shouldn't make the judgment anyway. Yeah. You could just think something or, or have a thought, but it, it shouldn't be something that's finalized. But not everybody thinks like that. Yeah. Well, we do have some room for growth. I'll say that for sure. All right. So let's get started. We're going to pray first. You know, that's important. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask that we give one another grace and mercy, just like you have given us. Lord, I pray that we are patient and loving of one another the same way you are of us as well. Lord, one of the aspirations as believers should be to live by example, just like Christ. And therefore, I pray that we embrace and take, you know, take more our relationship with you more seriously. And as our Lord, more seriously because of the example that you have set for us. Why? Because we don't know if we will be the last Jesus someone sees. And so as representatives and ambassadors, Lord, give us the humanity as well as the strength to embrace the chance and the opportunity to be light to the world. Don't be afraid. And I repeat, don't be afraid to let your light shine before women and men so that they may glorify our Father and honor Him and praise Him who is in heaven. I encourage the body of believers not to be afraid but to rep the name of Jesus Christ before men and women and to stand tall in your convictions. And therefore, Lord, I say all these things and those who are in agreement with me, please say in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to move on to part four today. And we're taking a look at Matthew chapter five, verse six in the English Standard Version. And this is what it tells us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So very simple verse. However, here... On the truth of the matter is our goal is to unpack God's word as much as possible while understanding it on a much more deeper level. So I want to look at a few scriptures that bring this scripture and its meaning alive even more to the believer. I remember for every scripture, there's a supporting scripture that validates another. That is why God's word doesn't need defending. Why? Because it defends itself. So I thought deeply about Matthew chapter five, verse six, and this passage came to mind and it's both in the gospel of Matthew and also in the gospel of Luke. Now, Daniel is going to read them both. And I want you to listen carefully 
and see potentially what might be different when you hear both of them, all right? Now we're gonna be looking at both passages of scripture in the English Standard Version. Daniel, take it away. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Okay, now we're going to look at Matthew. We just looked at Luke, we're going to look at Matthew. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Alright, great job, Dan. So the passages are saying similar things. But Luke is missing some perspectives that Matthew is providing and vice versa. So we're going to look closely. For starters, Luke does not mention anything about fasting. However, Matthew does. Now, one can surmise potentially that if he wasn't eating, he could have been fasting, right? But that's based upon assumption. And assumption is the lowest level of knowledge that you can go into any predicament with some sort of justification. But we're going to hang that up for a second and just consider the fact that the word fasting was not mentioned in Luke, but it was mentioned in Matthew. Now here's something very interesting. In Luke, we see stone and bread in singular format, meaning one. But in Matthew, we see it in a plural format, meaning more than one. Could that be a mistake? Sure. Could it be intentional? Absolutely. Stone and bread meaning one. Stones and loaves of bread meaning more than one. The justification of it being singular means to the satisfaction of oneself. Meaning the devil was testing Jesus and his desires to fulfill his own hunger. The justification of it being plural meaning more than one. The devil was testing Jesus on his ability to remain humble and, and show some form of greediness because he was testing him from an economic standpoint. Jesus easily could have made a profit off of his own miracle. You see, the grammar is important here, which is why I've spoken tirelessly, even beginning with the first episode we ever recorded about hermeneutics and hermeneutics. It is something that is used to sort of justify and understand and interpret something correctly within its proper context, okay? So grammar is important here because it highlights the deeper meaning of both the temptation and the request from the devil. One is personal gain, the other is financial gain. Now I want to point out one more difference. In Luke chapter 4 verse 4, Jesus says, man should not live by bread alone. In Matthew 4, verse 4, Matthew 4, verse 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word 
that comes from the mouth of God. So Matthew was a little bit more, has a little bit more meaning because it says, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Very important part here, because being blessed is hungering after words of wisdom that come from God's mouth. More on that in just a second. We're going to touch on that for sure. Now, in both passages, Jesus is actually quoting a certain text. He's also responding to the devil with scripture. Now, let's be clear. The devil knows scripture because he applies a portion of the word of God to entice. In other words, to manipulate Jesus and Jesus being wise and not fall for it. Now, if you're interested to know where that is, I would suggest that you read Luke 4 entirely, but you have to read it slowly to catch it. We don't have time to go and point that out, but it would have been great. But, you know, some things you have to do on your own if you truly are interested to want to know. If you've been listening to the podcast, you would have known that Jesus responds with scripture and therefore his teachings. And what we can learn is that we should respond with scripture as well. Why? Because in the book of Hebrew, chapter four, verse 12, it's clear when it says this. For the word of God is living and active and full of power making it operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of the soul and spirit, the completeness of a person. In both joints and marrow, the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now I want to sit here and rest and explain that a little bit more. I find it interesting that when I encounter people that aren't of God, that the most direct I can be is to give them God's word. Now I can personalize it. I can take it out of this context. And sometimes in those situations and scenarios, they might better suit that. But in other situations, especially someone who claims to be an authority and to have some sort of sway or influencement on others, if you see something that could use some questioning in regards to their approach. Giving them scripture to, re- to make them reconsider their thoughts is something that I think could be wise, right? It says, he who wins souls is wise. And the reason why I'm mentioning that is because recently I spoke to someone who wasn't a Christian. And, you know, we both shared our experiences. I shared my experience of reading scripture. And how it has helped me and assisted me and how it's foundational for me. And he's expressed reading and understanding meditation. Now, anyone who ever studies any form of religious beliefs, you know that there's forms of truth within them. Which is why people gravitate towards them. And what I learned is that, you know, he who wins souls is wise. That's the verse that stuck with me when I was speaking with them. And what that meant for me is that sometimes speaking to a person who believes in something different, there's a level of respect that you have to have. And in that moment, it's not wise to bash them and tell them how wrong what they believe is so wrong. You don't tell them how wrong and what they believe. What you do is you sort of create maybe a potential relationship there. And maybe you can have a tougher conversation where they respect you enough to hear you out. But the first encounter, I realized in the moment that I wanted to tell them about the word of God. 
But I remembered a couple of verses. One is in the book of Colossians, where Peter says, you know, let your speech be seasoned with salt. So, you know, you how you ought to, you know, speak to someone, how you ought to respond. And salt is about godly wisdom, godly discernment, godly judgment. Utilize that ability to remain calm and not automatically to be aggressive. I also learned in that instance, you know, Peter, where it says, be gentle and respectfully. Someone asks you for the reason of the hope that you have. So I remember that. And then, of course, one of the key verses that we spoke about in Luke chapter 9, verse 51 to 55. Don't automatically use what you believe to be supreme and to be important to you to show the rule over somebody else who hasn't even heard that much about Christ. And, you know, sitting there and listening to him and hearing what he has to say, he spoke with conviction. He spoke with the belief that it's shaped and formed and helped him. That meditation truly has changed his life. So I'm hoping in the future we probably will have another conversation. But I learned in that moment that bashing him about Christ, telling him about Christ, wasn't the right way to respond there. Was to sort of befriend him. Give him an opportunity to speak. Let him know that his opinion matters. And therefore hope for another opportunity where I can pour into him or potentially give him the open heart to have those conversations if they ever come. So that's what I learned in that situation. Any thoughts to that, Dane, before we move on? Mm. I think... I don't really... I'm not a... We're, we're a little different in this. Okay. In the sense of... I don't necessarily believe in trying to change what people think. I just give information or have conversation. And if it changes, it changes. But if not, it, it doesn't. So that's where we do differ on that. So not really too much. I think that if that's a way to go about it, that's there's nothing wrong with that. Because, you know, because I believe. So I didn't really have like a deep uh -huh. thought on it. I was just saying because I believe what I believe and I believe that Christ is true. There's some sort of sensitive aspect about where that person is going to end up or what's going to happen to them. And there's a soft spot that you have that when you make a connection with someone and we don't agree on that level, there's still a spot within me that's still concerned about that person and, you know, what's going to happen. So that's something that always hits me, that when you encounter somebody, you're respectful of, of their beliefs and you want them to know about Christ, but you also recognize that the time and place to have that conversation might not be there and sometimes you may never have that conversation you know so it was just something that crossed my mind um speaking with someone that doesn't share the same beliefs and you know still being able to have a great conversation but the point that i was making in general in regards to the verse that dangerous read is the point is god's word does a number of the conscious of those that believe and it questions those who aren't. And therefore, it can be a conviction to those who live a life of those saved. And maybe it might pass by someone who is not conscious of their sin. Therefore, you know, a person can hear certain things like scripture and it may not have an impact on them. Now, that's just part of it. Now, last week, we looked at this verse in the English Standard Version. 
This week we review it. We reviewed it in the amplified version for a much more deeper explanation. And that's the difference. And that's the great appreciation for recognizing that translations can have a great part in unpacking it. Now, the passage Jesus is quoting, by the way, for those who don't know, is in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. So let's take a look at that because it will help us in understanding why Jesus is quoting it and why we, why someone could, would be blessed if they have hunger for the words that come out of God's mouth. Daniel? The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you will keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Yeah, Jesus is quoting this verse because this passage was his example before he went to the wilderness and before he did fasting. Remember, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, verse 52, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So without question, Jesus studied the Torah. For us as readers, that's the Old Testament, which is not what it was called at the time, right? And there was no Bible at the time. It was called the Torah. It was the first five books that are a part of the Bible and that are part of Judaic beliefs. Now, what's important isn't the way you feel when you are in, in hunger. It's the focus that you have on God. And, and I'm speaking in, in regards to what you can expect or deal with when fasting. So let's be clear. This is some advice when you go into fasting. It's not about achieving the fast. It's about receiving from God. Because you're choosing to give up something in honor of God so that, you know, you can receive something from God. In this case, it's food. Now, it doesn't always have to be food, right? It can be a fast from social media. It can be a fast from anything. But the purpose of the fast is to honor God in some way and fashion by giving up something that matters to you and a reverence to God and hope that there is something that you can receive from God. So what Jesus did and what made him blessed and what made the Hebrews blessed was they allowed God to lead them when they were in a state of hunger. Now, some may see that as a state of weakness, but I view it as a state of being submissive to God and his will. Jesus came to accomplish God's will. Speaking about hunger, I want to mention a passage briefly, and it's deep and is very much related here when it comes to being led by God. So let's go to the Gospel of John chapter 4. We're going to read Look at verses 31 through 35. We're going to look at this in the Amplified Version, Daniel. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus to have a meal, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he told them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? 
And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to completely finish his work. Great job. So as you can see, Jesus' view of food is completely different. It's not being used to satisfy one appetite, but it's instead being used to be submissive in what the father asked of him. There's something that I want to also talk about too. There is something that the believers need to understand and remember. Because this is something that I believe Jesus understood. When God is in control, you belong to him. You are in his hands. The devil cannot get a hold of you unless God allows it. If he does, guess what? It's for a reason. And that reason is only going to glorify him through you or allow you to see what it was and how you benefit from it, how you become a better person for it. So let's focus now on a personal attack from Satan, right? That would be Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, not Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And I want to make a connection with Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. So the hunger for God is to trust in him, specifically his word. Jesus gave us an example. His example was relying on the word in the middle of the crisis he was experiencing from dying. Not dying, but experiencing a point in which he was hungry. Jesus at the time, Jesus at the time, leaned on God's word that he read by quoting it. He embraced the fact that food is important, yes, but that's not the only thing you should live on. One thing that you could live on daily that will protect you and guide you are the words that come from the mouth of the Lord, who knows all things and sees all things. So here's something worth mentioning, because Jesus brings it up in the Gospel of John. It's also slipped in there in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 3, Daniel. Read verse 3 again slowly so we can unpack this. And he humbled you, and let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Great, great job. So for starters, Daniel, what is manna? Manna is bread remarkably simple and wholesome, but best described as a unique, cake-like sprouted bread made of all organic and kosher ingredients, such as whole wheat, whole rye, and whole seeds as well as dried, no sugar added fruits and shelled nuts. Okay. Now, to think God provided this for the Israelites during this period of time when they traveled in the desert, I think is interesting. The fact that it was eatable and possibly enjoyable actually amazes me. In fact, it actually sounds pretty good the way they formatted it. And that's just a basic definition that we have. Now, did God include all of that when it fell from the sky? I don't know. Now, when we look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, first thing we learn is that there's a humble experience that happens. So when it comes to praying and having a conversation with God, being humbled, I would suggest is a good idea. Paul in Romans says that we should humble. We should be humble when it comes to approaching the throne of grace, right? 
Proverbs chapter 3 verse 34 says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. When we aren't humble, there are examples of God having to humble people throughout the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar is one of them. There's also a king who tore his clothes in the book of Kings after being told he would potentially die is another great example of coming to realize that humbling himself before God is something that he should do. Next, we read about a he in Deuteronomy 8, verse 3 in the scripture. That he, it says, fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. So the passage is talking about a certain someone who's not recognizable. How do I know that? Well, the pastor said no one knew of him. And yet it says he might make you know that. And that statement is man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Again, very loaded verse here. And obviously this is Jesus that's being talked about throughout the Old Testament. And by the way, you know, Jesus has made several appearances for those who are curious. Right. And we can think of Melchizedek as one. It was an individual that Jacob wrestled with as another example. This foreshadowing of Jesus in several places, whether it's Jonah, whether it's Moses, right? But I digress. But that's just to show that if you're curious, I would attempt to read some of these Old Testament stories and potentially see how possibly there's some sort of relation. But it does point to a potential messiah that they were versions of foreshadowing of what the messiah came to do in terms of the relief that they provided so let's go to the gospel of john chapter 6 and we're going to read verses 47 through 59 in the english standard version thing truly truly i say to you whoever believes has eternal life i am the bread of life your father ate the manna in the wilderness and they died this is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread of the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. At that time, you could imagine this was a hard teaching because people, I believe, had a hard time trying to understand. Was Jesus speaking literally? Or figuratively. Most likely they thought he was speaking literally because they thought Jesus, after what he said, was insane with what he said. Now, if you've read 
the book, you would know at this moment, Jesus lost many disciples that day because people lacked understanding and didn't desire clarity. You know, that's why Jesus goes on to say that have I not selected 12 of you and one of you is a devil. So Jesus knew this would happen and it didn't come as a surprise to him one bit. Interesting enough in that text. Once all the disciples that claimed to be following Christ started to leave, Jesus made a statement to Peter and some of the 12 that are you going to leave me too? And one of the things that they said is that they left everything that they had to follow him. And I believe that's when Jesus said that, obviously, I'm paraphrasing here, that they wouldn't regret the decision that they made to follow Christ. So, yeah, as you can see, there's a connection here in reference to what they ate and what Jesus truly represented at the time as a bread of life. So now we could dive deeper, but I need to say some of this for the Gospel of John series when we revisit. Now let's revisit Matthew chapter five, verse six, and I wanna unpack the meaning of thirst, righteousness, and what does it mean to be satisfied? Then we'll wrap it up with devotional time. So, Let's move on here. So the passage that comes to mind when it comes to the word thirst and its usage here is Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. So remember, Matthew chapter 5, verse, verses 3 through 11, start with the word bless. And it's so, is, uh, so is our job as readers to understand how is a person blessed if they hunger, which is, which is something we did already. But the question now is how can a person who thirsts all of a sudden be blessed. So let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 10 to 11 in the English Standard Version. And we're going to look at this. Daniel? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Yeah, so we are informed that Jesus himself is a gift from God. And we know this because he takes on the sins of the world to those who believe. And we hear that he can provide living water. Now, Jesus low-key, this is my understanding, is entertaining this conversation. Because he's really telling this woman, if you really knew who I was, your attitude would change. Your approach would change. So in response, Jesus decides to be patient, which is one of his amazing attributes. Being patient is very much Christ-like. So let's go and check out verses 13 through 14. Still in Gospel of John chapter 6. Daniel. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Yeah, so we, when we revisit Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, as it states, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The word thirst in this context is the opportunity to learn of the truth. Now again, there are many truths, but I believe there is only one truth, right? That's in the Gospel of John. Chapter 14, verse 6, where it says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So again, there's many truths. So in this context, once truth comes knocking at your door, and once you accept that truth, once that 
truth enters your heart and impacts the way that you see the world. Without a doubt, I believe you'll be content from the inside. And guess what? You're going to want to tell other people about this joy that you're feeling. You're going to want to tell others the feeling that you have. And you want to know what righteousness looks like? It's the same thing when it comes to what does truth look like? What is truth? I believe it's the person of Jesus Christ. We are righteous because God counts Jesus' goodness instead of our sins. When we have faith in Jesus, we become holy as we obey God more and more in our lives by becoming Christ-like. Now, there are several individuals that in the Bible were considered righteous. So this is something that God gave them. One of them was Noah, right? If we go to Genesis Chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Why? Because Noah walked with God, and that opened the door for the second aspect of being righteous, and that's doing the right thing. So one of the ways in which someone can see you as a righteous person is your ability to do what's right, in spite of how it might appear or how someone might view it or might take it. Doing the right thing in God's eyes opens the door. You being viewed as blameless. We know that Job was blameless. We know that there was another young gentleman, older gentleman in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, who also was blameless. Because of Christ, we all get to have a relationship with God, which means to be in good standing with God. Now, let's look at examples of righteousness. Jesus Christ is righteousness because of what he did for us in the flesh by fulfilling. And addressing the sin issue. It's not only was right. But he destroyed the wall of hostility. And brought our relationship with God back together. By having a relationship with him. And his sacrifice. The sacrificial lamb that he was. We know that Jesus. Satisfies our hunger and thirst. Because once we have him. That's all that we will ever need. For everlasting life. Jesus tells us. In John 16, 13, 4. That the water from the well will not quench your thirst, meaning it won't make you satisfied or content. However, Jesus is saying that what he has to offer you, if it so be that you're inclined to take him up on offer in regards to what he can do for you, promises something better than the water in the well. He says whoever drinks from the water that he gives them will never thirst again. Now, let's be clear. There is no magic water he's using here, but he's illustrating the water that he provides as eternal life. Now, if you ask me, that sounds pretty satisfying. Now, I want to revisit righteousness again. Righteousness in the secular sense is the quality of being morally right or justifiable. Very limited definition because it speaks to a situation, more of a case-by-case scenario. The biblical point of view is that there is a person by the name of Jesus Christ who embodies the term righteousness. That is that there are many attributes that Jesus provides. And we believe that Jesus is morally right. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 8 verse 20 in English Standard Version. This is what it says. I walk in the way of righteousness and the path of justice. Very good. You read it one more time. I walk in the way 
of righteousness and the paths of justice. This is Jesus speaking, and this is what he says that he does. He embodies it, that that's exactly what he is. Now, one of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. But for context, let's begin at verse 16. Daniel? From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we were once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Yeah, so part of having Christ in us is allowing his righteousness to show us. And we learn about this in First John, that his righteousness protects us and shields us. That is something that God sees when he sees us, when the Holy Spirit is within us. So to conclude, what does Matthew 5, 6 mean? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. For those who hunger for Christ, those who thirst for Christ, those who are looking for an example of righteousness once they find Christ, he will be everything that they ever need. Jesus. It's not the man in, in, in that fell from the sky, but he's better than that. Jesus is the one who will quench your thirst where you won't need another drink again. Jesus is living proof that righteousness can be achieved, and having him in the presence of God helps a ton. Once Jesus comes into your heart, he will be the one to complete you, to make you whole again. Because of Adam and his transgressions, we were separate, separated from God. It's because of the second Adam, Jesus Christ, we now are made whole again, united with God through Christ. Before we dive into devotion, I want to recommend a song. It's called We Thirst For You by C.C. Winers. Again, it's called We Thirst For You by C.C. Winers, and it kind of sums up part of what we're talking about today in terms of thirsting for Christ. Hungering for Christ, seeking righteousness, having a desire to be satisfied. With that, we go. You know what's funny? Yeah, go for it. Why, why we've been um, recording. That song that keeps coming to me is What a Friend We Have in Jesus by Mary Mary. Okay. That, that helps. Been thinking about that this whole time. Okay. So look at that song too. What a Friend We Have in Jesus mm-hmm. by Mary Mary. So it's thirst. It's We Thirst For You by C.C. Winers and What a Friend We Have in Jesus by Mary Mary. Something that I'm trying to add in here is, remember, what's so beautiful about gospel songs is that some of the songs are inspired by the Word of God. And being able to sing songs that represent everything that we read in Scripture can help allow it to seep in within your soul and be something that you sing as you worship God, right? We should worship the Lord at all times. 
and this praise should continue and forever be in our mouths and that's one of the ways you do that another formal way of celebrating and honoring God because he deserves the glory the honor and the praise so great credits Daniel and with that we're going to jump right into devotional time for devotional time let's start with Psalms and let's do it with uh, chapter 1 verse 6 of the Amplified Version it says for the Lord knows and fully approves the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked shall perish Jonathan said something two weeks ago about receiving favor from God if you guys remember we are blessed to have favor from God but unfortunately there are some who remove themselves from that favor willingly thank God for the verse we also read two weeks ago in 2nd Timothy verse 13 and it says if we are faithless he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself God is forgiven and loving and full of grace mercy and truth always remember that about God here's a small prayer that I hope can be helpful for us throughout the week Lord remind me of who you are daily I pray that I don't forget the God I serve that because of your grace and mercy, I can forgive myself and strive to be Christ-like. And that I don't give up no matter what my struggles may be. You are all I need to overcome what hinders me. And I'll also say, what a friend we have in you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.